here we are at the last evening of this retreat. Having spent uh, four full days and uh, nights together, noticing what that perception does to our consciousness. Perhaps, oh, finally. Oh, or maybe, oh my goodness. Hoping to have a breakthrough. Sometimes we feel as if we're moving through life. But as we contemplate, isn't it the case that our our life manifests itself in this one heart as a kaleidoscope of change? That first evening... and dissolved in the manifestation of the first full day, different moods, all that seems so real, the coming and going, but all that keeps transmuting, transforming. So here's there's the sense of the uh, last evening. But what is that? Last evening, perception that dissolves. There's a, a saying of the Buddha that I that I like that relates to this. Uh, it's from a teaching called the uh, Sharangama. It's one of the Mahayana discourses. Uh, And in this particular sutra, Kuan Yin is introduced as uh, Kuan Yin's meditation on returning the hearing, listening to the sounds of the world is, is proclaimed as a really helpful, invaluable way of returning to the core, returning to the source. In this in this sutra, the Buddha uh, says the primary misconception about the mind and body is that false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. He went on to say, you do not know that the physical body as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth are all within the wonderful bright, true mind. To repeat, the primary misconception about the mind and body is the false view that the mind dwells in the physical body. Consciousness is some little chemical reaction that somewhere up in our skull or 
And we're making our way through this, the real world out there. You do not know, he said, that the physical body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, and the great earth, are all within the wonderful, bright, true mind. Upon the Buddha's uh, awakening, he realized this original brightness and as was uh, mentioned in the uh, Dharma talks from uh, Sharda and and Tanisra, he was reluctant to teach because when he he woke up, he, he realized it's not like he attained something out there and got hold of it. He recognized this luminous heart that was that is. And that we lose touch. He said, this heart is luminous. But we lose touch with it because we get fooled by what moves through the heart. First night, second night. Oh, i am got so much to do. Oh, I'm getting... Getting there, oh, I had it yesterday, but I've lost it now. <laughs> These things move through the heart, and we, we, we grasp at something, reject something else, painful. But as we contemplate, we start to cultivate this primary relationship with fundamentals, with body, awareness of the body, simplicity of walking, standing, sitting, lying down, training ourselves to be with an in-breath and an out-breath, to welcome and acknowledge seeing that contact Sharda was talking about last night. Hearing. Smelling. Tasting. Feeling. Knowing that contact when a thought appears, an image appears, an impulse appears. We've... we've Practice training ourselves to be here and now and welcome this contact. Stabilize ourselves at being with the body. And there's this opportunity for the nature, nature of reality, of Dharma, of our of our life to reveal itself. Revelation is not just some mysterious thing. It's, it's also something that naturally occurs when the attention steadies itself and receives a sensation 
or sight or sound, then there is the insight, the revelation of the nature of what we give attention to. We spent these first uh, few days encouraging ourselves uh, rather than, than trying to too quickly solve our problems, our relationship problems and our how we're going to fix the world and it, it's, it's burning and uh, our illnesses. To let that be not to hate them, but to let it be for the sake of deepening our capacity to be present. We withdrew. And with a thought, remember, like now, here, breathing in, breathing out, training ourselves to be with one thing, something simple. Because otherwise, if we'd have just started too soon to, to figure things out, we'd just end up having all kinds of views, oftentimes at least, all kinds of views and opinions. But when we cultivate presence of heart, to a certain degree, what the Buddha called samadhi, stability, The Buddha said, when the heart is composed, then when that heart is turned to something, the nature of whatever that is reveals itself. The composed heart, the Buddha said, sees things the way they are. The image that uh, is used and that I return to a lot is it's like a, a hot cast iron stove that's been heated for hours. And if a drop of water falls on it, might seem so solid, but that drop of water falls on it. When our heart is stabilized in being here. Then when we're in touch with sights, colors, light, they reveal their, just like that drop of water, shifting, changing, ephemeral, empty. Empty in the sense of empty of solidity because it's always becoming otherwise. It's not a value judgment against is what it is, or sound, rather than get, getting so lost in whether it's a pretty sound or an ugly sound, or it makes sense or it doesn't make sense. When the heart is composed, a sound, and most powerfully a thought, reveals itself. It's bubbling in the thought, oh, I'm the greatest in the universe. I can't believe all these turkeys around me that don't understand anything. <laughs> it's bubbles. Or I'm, God, I'm a hopeless, I'm just a hopeless case. 
can't keep my resolutions to do anything. I'm just a parasite on the earth. <laughs> and we laugh, but when our thoughts can drive us to take our own life, our thoughts can drive us, we think we're guided by some maybe higher power to take someone else's life. Because it seems so real, so true, yet when we're composed, I'm the greatest, I'm the worst, I'm the greatest. Well, notice that won't be so preoccupied, mesmerized, captivated, hijacked by the form because the composed heart will see the form keeps pop like the bubbles I was talking about. Disappear. And then we'll begin to notice the space around the form, the space that allows the forms to shift, change, just like day one, day two, day three. Like a kaleidoscope keeps flashing, shifting, changing within this wonderful, bright, true Awareness. So to review in, in this in this uh, practice, this, the teachings of awakening, we've been uh, focusing, investigating. All that we take to be me and mine, the the body, my success, my strength, my health, my possessions, my loved ones, my happiness, my despair. And as we investigate, we'll see they're shifting and changing. We might call it my strength my happiness, but we'll realize, well, that's just the way of talking. It's not really mine. Because everything's changing and becoming otherwise, it's not really mine. If I think it is, then, then if I lean on and take birth in my success, because I had a good meditation, then the next day when it's just heavy, then there's a sense of having lost it, and we, we trip, we, we fall. And then we try to grasp something else. Not understanding this ever-changing nature is continually frustrating. As we, as Ajahn Chah would say, when we're looking for certainty, our teacher would say, if you're looking for certainty in that which is uncertain, wanting feelings, wanting our forms, wanting our thoughts, to be a certain way, just listen to them. They're so slippery. Wanting, looking for certainty in that which by nature is ephemeral and uncertain, ever-changing. It's a recipe for, for suffering. So our, our, part of our practice has been steadying, calming, investigating, and realizing the stress that comes from holding what can't be held so we let go and experience that spacious, peaceful emptiness. And also we've been exploring 
kindness and compassion practices today too, which is a welcoming and allowing, a befriending. When we notice we're pushing things away. So I just would like to, to remind us uh, th- this evening that sometimes all the different practices that we've uh, touched on, the different skillful means of steadying and, and, and breath and walking and investigating and letting go and kindness, we can get really confused. but that actually it's, it's one awareness. And, and a um, quote that Tanisha and I like to, to remember that helps see this is, is from the great uh, sage, Indian sage, Sri Nisargadatta, who um, died a, a few decades ago, but uh, his, his teachings in, in uh, 100 of his recorded conversations in the book I Am That have been a great inspiration for so many beings. In there he says, Wisdom says I'm nothing. Wisdom. It focuses on all that we think is me and mine and, and we realize it's not a thing because it's shifting, changing, and let's go. So wisdom says I'm nothing. That letting go leads to that spacious heart. Compassion says I'm everything. Between these two banks, the life of the awakened one flows. Wisdom says I'm nothing, not a thing. That letting go that takes us to this ground, spacious, skylight ground of of peaceful suchness. Compassion says I'm everything. Letting go. Compassion, everything is that welcoming between these two banks. This is one mind, this awareness that can focus, inquire, let go and notice its spaciousness, embrace and notice and recognize the forms within the spaciousness. The wisdom reveals the emptiness, sky-like emptiness. Is that emptiness empty? The emptiness has room, as, as great Chinese master Hua says, has room for everything. The emptiness has within it all these amazing forms that are ungraspable. But if we want our emptiness to not have anything in it, we we let go, and, and, and sometimes we're just avoiding keeping things at bay. That's why the practice gets balanced then by opening to pain, opening to the to the shadows, opening to what's not easy to be with, welcoming. And when we get too entangled, too stuck, we remember, stabilize, investigate, look into letting B. 
be letting go so that we realize that all these patterns, things that we're stuck on are coming and going and we realize again the spacious emptiness. Our practice is a balancing, is a dance as we go back into our our, our daily life. The different tools are still part of this one mind. As Ajahn Chah would say, if the obstacles come high, we learn to duck. (laughs) And if they come low, we learn to jump. (laughs) But if we want everything to be just a certain way, you know, you know, he... he, uh, he tells the story that you've heard many times. The teachers like behind the disciples, and the disciples are veering to the left, falling, getting ready to fall into the ditch on the left side of the road, and he'll say, go right. And the really mindful disciples, the dutiful ones, the good ones will write down, Master says, go right. <laughs> And then you know what happens. Then, you know, they're starting to go right, get near the right ditch, and uh, go left. And then the equally diligent disciples say, Master says, go left, and there's a big fight. He said, go left. He said, go right. It's middle, as has been pointed out, it's middle, middle way, finding balance. And so we'll... There'll be, there's times to let go. Times of really practicing, letting things be, letting things flow, giving space. Sensing that sky-like space. And then when we so helpful in daily life when we're unwilling, when we're grumpy, when we're to have a, have a moment of, of just whatever it is, making space, allowing, welcoming the pain, the sour mood, the doubt. Not pretending to like everything, but offering a place at the table, a cup of tea, allowing, allowing so that being well with whatever is coming and going, that, that kindliness allows, allows. It's a hugely helpful practice for daily life. Especially if you find yourself not wanting to feel this, not wanting to feel that, not wanting this. It's not pretending that you love everything. I mean, that can be a flowering when there's a genuine caring and loving. But the metta practice, the seed of it is the willingness to not fight it, to allow it. As um, when Sharda was talking about the, the opening the flower of our being last night. You know, notice that she, even that when we feel all really closed up, we can open to that, that closed up feeling. My heart's a plank. <laughs> we can have kindness for the plank. <laughs> Allow that sense I'm a plank. 
and notice that that takes one to presence. And then, and then within that spaciousness, there's the possibility to see the changing nature. You can look into what it is we're welcoming and notice it coming and going. That we might call it my mood, my thought, but if we look really closely, we realize it's, it's not mine, it's, it's ungraspable. Wisdom says I'm no thing, letting go. Compassion says I'm everything. It's been a real uh, privilege to be here and to, I've been uh, mainly for the last six months uh, looking after my father, who's 96. He's uh, right at the edge and really, really uh, uh, weak. Mind is still quite clear, but everything breaking down so he can barely move now. And uh, just being with him in the most intimate ways, helping where his skin is breaking down and trying to fix that and help him with his digestion because uh, wind gets stuck and pains here and there. And and it's uh, been quite a process together. It's been very poignant, very sweet, also very challenging because I've gotten very tired, uh, tired myself. But it was uh, a real grace, grace to have the chance to have the roles reversed. As we were growing up, he he, uh, did so much for us and then was used to the one who was dutiful, used to being the one who could do everything. and sometimes that was exasperating because he would be the one doing everything. And at first, when he, things were starting to go down, he just said, uh, I wish I'd just died quickly. Because after mom died, when he first collapsed, it was just by chance, Tanisha and I, I mean, we were living in Africa, we just happened to be sitting in a restaurant with him. And, and I noticed his lip going and he looked funny and he wanted to go to the bathroom I helped him and then he collapsed in in, in the bathroom and, and normally would have died but the restaurant was next to a hospital and the one of the waitresses was emergency trained there was a policeman in the restaurant <laughs> and uh, you know I mean and we were there and so uh, you know he was a bit distressed at first that he hadn't just gone and I said, <laughs> but because I, he didn't want to be a burden, you know, because that's who he was. But it was little by little, it's been so sweet to say, hey, Dad, you got so much joy out of being the one to help others. Can you consider that maybe it works the other way too? And it's been really sweet. He's, you know, there's really allowing others others to do that 
So, you know, we, we've been very, very, very close. For, I mean, I hear him breathe at night. Cause, and so, you know, when he, I can help him when he needs to move or check he gets his oxygen on and the medicines and and uh, you know leaving uh, leaving wasn't wasn't easy but he gave this blessing a blessing before he said you know Kitty Sorrow my uh, your life's more important than mine he said no because it's mine's used up and he really was wanting to Nisra and me to come and do what we do because we're going to be going to England and to South Africa and then to Israel and it really it was beautiful this blessing wanting that to flourish not to worry about him though he admitted it was going to be sad but he'd really got to a soft place of letting go letting go letting go So it's it's been a privilege to to be here and to share this practice with you all, with these wonderful uh, fellow Dharma teachers. Because my energy's been so low the last uh, quite a few months, it's been uh, wonderful to have this uh, opportunity again to uh, do so much formal practice myself and share the Dhamma. And to remember, to remember uh, our good fortune, my incredible good fortune, to have encountered these teachings, to to have had uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, teachers, and uh, to just encourage you all to be very patient with yourselves or early on. Because when I first started retreats and had a little bit of, of peace, you know, I was so greedy and, and confident that I would, you know, calculate, all right, the first three days was hell, okay. But, you know, there was that peacefulness. And uh, it, it was short, okay, okay. But it was there. And let's see, that was a 10-day ten day retreat where you see three tens in, in a month, 12 months, a year, but let's give it two years, what the heck. <laughs> and, you know, I was going to just blow through it in two years and then, then go back, uh, finish it uh, Oxford, then go back and be a doctor. And, uh, you know, this path is very humbling. And uh, to just to to reflect it's gradual and it's not just up 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 and away and when the buddha was asked about awakening he said well if you're walking into the mist uh, when do you get wet it's little by little, by little, the permeation, the suffusion, moisture. You can't say exactly when. And he also compared it to walking into the ocean in in many places. It's a gradual descent. He said, so too, this, this practice, and little by little we're enveloping, welcoming, opening to body, 
feeling, sights, sounds, moods, little by little, coaxing into consciousness, awareness. It's, it's, it's gradual, being very patient. And as I was saying to the, to the little group this morning, you know, somebody might be thinking, well, but Kitty Zora, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I've read all those Zen stories, and there's, you know, there's... <laughs> He's of the gradual school. Okay, fruit might drop off a tree, but the ripening process is gradual. And then, yes, there are shifts and changes, but the ripening is very gradual. The principle, the essence, is always immediate. The luminous, original brightness is, is. But the obstructions, the way in which we're so busy grasping, so busy getting rid of, that falls away in time, which, which encourages us to be, to, be, to be very, very, very patient. And uh, I, I started, um, as I've told stories before, you know, I used to be a wrestler, used to be really strong, really, really energetic. And then in the course of my, my practice in Thailand, I got very sick when I was a monk. I had diarrhea for six months. Then I got um, um, bit by a centipede. And then uh, my hand was swollen for three weeks. Then I started uh, urinating blood and ended up in a, in, a, in a hospital. And that wasn't my plan. <laughs> um, that wasn't in that up, up, and away plan. And in the, in the hospital, I mean, the first night, you know, the guy in that bed died. He couldn't spit up blood or something. I was in the monk's ward. And the, the guy on my left was terrified. He was supposed to have some sort of kidney operation coming up. And there was a novice in the row of beds across the room, and his little brother was sleeping on the floor to keep his brother company, and he had one of these big jungle sores, and they were talking about maybe amputating his leg. And I was in a rural hospital in northeast Thailand, and at night there was moans and screams, and it was was terrifying. And at first I thought monks shouldn't need pain pills, so I refused them. (laughs) And then I heard a scream in the middle of the night. It was me. (laughs) It woke me up. And so I needed it. But there was in the middle of the night this this little chanting. Someone had a little chanting tape of a a chant that I knew honoring the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. And it uh, it sounded like a novice chanting, it just reminded me again, okay, there's the terror, this and that, but there's, there's presence, there's things the way they are. And... But, you know, this was not my plan. And the, the next morning, I somehow made it through the night, 
And the next morning, Ajahn Chah appeared in the door, my teacher. And uh, he was round and happy. Uh, He went around to everyone and talked to everyone, checked on them. I was the only one he knew in there, but first he went... He went to the others and got to me. And it was just so nice to see him. And uh, he, he got to me, and he's funny. Uh, but uh, well, I had to tell him, I said, Ajahn Chah, i got to get out of here. <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> and he said... Yeah, I'll send the police after you. <laughs> and so I started laughing. But I said, but Loom Paul, which means Venerable Father, I said, but what do you do about pain? What do you do about it? And my tie isn't very good, but it's good enough. He's, you know, Dong Lukwam Chep Daunan. He said, it's necessary to know pain. You can do it. You can do that. One of his most wonderful, precious gifts was bestowing courage. You can do it. You can just open to it. He had had a lot of sickness. He wasn't up on some big high horse pointing down. He, he knew pain and pleasure. So to encourage, especially as we, as we go home, that we've, we have some skills, maybe a little bit of access of, of peace, and that's wonderful. And we deepen that in that simplicity. But, but when pain comes, difficulty comes, suffering comes, just really remember it's not like a disaster. Something's really going wrong. So many times if somebody was suffering, I'd see Ajahn Chah smile. He would say, good. And he wasn't a masochist. He knew that we learned from our suffering. The Buddha said he taught two things, dukkha, suffering, and the ending of suffering. And that the experience of stress, distress, suffering, pain, whether it's subtle, whether it's gross, that little by little we need to open to it. And when we do that, it becomes ennobling. It's why it's called a noble truth, that we are ennobled when little by little we deepen our capacity to be realistic, to open. Yes, it's, it's gradual. And that's, so we're deepening our capacity first to be with a step, to be with a breath, to steady, to, to relax, but then also to open to. Because if we're not open to something, we just have opinions about it. If we're open to something, then we have the opportunity to recognize how it's perpetuated, 
what it is, what it's about. So when we encounter our difficulties, which which will naturally come, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of, that it is is that which, when we open to it, becomes a special sacred gateway that can take us deeper into wisdom and compassion. And this will change our consciousness. Tanisha said something very important in her, to me, instruction this morning. She said it's not just changing the structures. Changing structures might be nice, but even really good structures, if, if a deluded, greedy, angry consciousness is even using a great structure, it becomes oppressive. When, when, when Mandela uh, got out of prison after 27 years, he said, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. He saw that, that if he just held on to that and kept his enemies out there. He went on to say, resentment is like drinking poison and thinking it will kill your enemies. (laughs) Drinking resentment righteously, they did this and they did that, can't believe it, they deserve, thinking it will kill your enemies. He saw that. He turned that prison into a university. He deepened and grew. So it wasn't just a question of tearing down the bad structure. He could just create more enemies. He thought when the consciousness deepens, it becomes unified as we really start to notice everything arising and dissolving back into this one heart, we then realize, wow, we're brothers and sisters. We have kinship with each other. We're all from this one source, including Mother Earth, including the animals, including all beings. We, we, we get beyond this... this just attachment to my color, my nation, my group. So he, that sort of mind that was purified by the suffering, 
tempered by the suffering, transformed by the suffering. It can become ennobling. Or, or yes, suffering can just make us more bitter. And then we can just blame ourselves, someone else. But if one opens to it, contemplates it, can transform us. So he then thought, I, I want to learn the language of my oppressors. He learned Afrikaans, read their poetry, started befriending guards, and, and they couldn't believe that they, the people who wanted to hate him couldn't hate him. I don't know if you've ever been in his presence, but it's, it's royal, regal, it's majestic, because it, it, it welcomes you. You, you feel... There's space for you. You're part of the family. A few occasions, uh, Tanisha and I had the opportunity to uh, uh, be in the same room. There were those when he rose to power that, that, that wanted him to, to get back take the colors away from the, the white man's sports team, the rugby team. And uh, he, he knew that that was, that was like humiliating. I don't know if you ever saw the movie of uh, Invictus. It's wonderful with Morgan Freeman and uh, Matt Damon. But uh, it's it just it's true that he stopped that. And he, he befriended the, the captain, the Afrikaans captain of the team, Francois Pinar, and, and he wanted them to win. And he, he wouldn't let them take the colors of the, of the rugby team away and even put the jersey on. It was very powerful when they won the World Cup right after he was elected back in 1995. A gesture of... of welcoming and able. Okay, there's still lots of problems in South Africa, but he was ahead of us, pointing the direction of a, of a mind that, that uh, doesn't just see differences. That, that Then one can, as we change the route, we will have more capacity, each of us in our own little circles will have through, through kindness, through wisdom, through patience, we'll have the capacity to make a difference. And sometimes the more we try to force it, it just increases the equal and opposite opposition. You can't just crush. As the Buddha said, you know, hatred is never overcome by hatred, only through love. Only through non-hatred. This is the eternal law. I mean, even something that, to me, maybe I'm crazy, but even something that's so obviously compassionate to provide health care. <laughs> I grew up in the Bible Belt. This is Jesus' country. I have a lovely dentist who cleans my teeth. Uh, dental hygienist. She's pure-hearted, faithful. While my mouth was open, 
she's talking about how her children are finding out about how this, you know, this socialism and, you know, pushing this, this, this thing on the thing. And, you know, I had to breathe a few times. But I care for her, and I could have just come out with a, you know, I, I did, I confess, had to do some breathing. But I said, uh, I said, you know, that's interesting. I said, but, you know, because this is Jesus' country down there. Did Jesus go around with a cash register? And, you know, can't heal you. How much you got? I said, he, you know, he just, he healed. And, you know, this person's a good person. And she says, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> but, you know, that was one little light that went off. That, you know, it's not, okay, maybe we need to work out a different way to do it, but the principle of offering to care for one another, helping one another. So, so just encouraging uh, all of us to be patient and however many times one one gets tripped up you know to just begin again and to begin again and to begin again and to find um, this is the advanced course when as one goes home and, and it's the creative course because we have to each of us with our tendencies our circumstances, consider how can I take what I really cherish and, and, and see that it, it, it grows, takes root in my life. And that, that's just really exciting, challenging, interesting, finding ways of, of having moments, of being able to return to how is it now. And the good news is that it's our destiny to wake up because that's our nature. Like a spark, in a, as Nisargadatta said, in a tanker ship full of cotton, little by little burns away, burns away, burns away, burns away, burns away, leaving the emptiness. That little by little as we moments of taking refuge, of bringing awareness 
to where there was just bias or assumption, that little by little by little. Obstructions fall away. And, uh, you know, so the, the uh, awakening happens. So just to encourage all of us to uh, stay with the path, to begin again, and uh, thank you for your uh, presence on this retreat. And um, may the Dhamma deepen, continue to flourish in your life, and may you cherish sanctuaries like this one that uh, give us the opportunity to retreat, to be supported, and allow our gaze not to be so preoccupied with other urgencies so that we can get to the root of the problem and and touch ground, touch the core, refresh, renew, so that we then can take back uh, to the world uh, that which is a blessing. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.